Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. David Grant is a great writer with a terrific brand new book. It's called The Wager, a tale of shipwreck, mutiny, and murder. Congratulations, David, and welcome back. Uh, it's so great to be back on the show again. Here's the highest praise that I can give your book. Your, I, I read it about a week ago, and in the midst of reading it, I was so taken with the wager. I'm thinking, I know someone who's going to love this. Every week on this program, we have a standing commitment, usually on Tuesdays, with Admiral James Stavridis, the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. If ever there were a seaman... It's it's him, right? Admiral Stavridis. So I sent him a note and I said, you're going to love this book. And I attached to it one of the many reviews. I think it was from the Times. He wrote back and said he'd already read the book and loved the book and gives you highest praise. Oh, my goodness. That is the highest praise. And I'm glad you sent it to him because he was somebody I was like, I got to get a book to him. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's not only received it, he's read it and he loved it. Let, let me just before I get into the wager, let me just reset this way. I've been a fan of your work, I think, since nine, uh, 2009. And it was in 2009 that for The New Yorker, you wrote about Cameron Todd Willingham 
Uh, arguably, you know, because you always wonder in the context of the death penalty, have we ever executed an innocent man? And and you really you really brought me to the conclusion that in that case in Texas, that is what had occurred. And I remember our conversation from that. And then I also have fond memories of when you wrote The Lost City of Z, which was so that was about uh, Percy Fawcett and the Amazon. And so taken was I with the lost city of Z that on a family trip to London with my sons in tow, we left uh, Harrods and we went over to the uh, uh, what would it have been? The Royal Geographic or Geographical Society, simply because I I wanted to feel what it was like to be David Graham when you were doing (laughs) all the legwork. And my my, like sons are there thoroughly bored. Frankly, they were probably less than 10 (laughs) at the time. And I'm pouring through some of the books like, yeah, this must be what David Graham did in his research. (laughs) It's an amazing institution, though. And what's so amazing is that these documents still exist in, in all these places. Okay, so now in this case, right, you you similarly dove into what the National Archives outside of London in trying to figure out what happened with the HMS wager. That is right. Yes. Yeah, so this was a, a British naval warship that got shipwrecked, uh, well, was sent on a secret mission to try to capture a Spanish galleon filled with treasure, which was known as the prize of all the oceans. And everything essentially goes wrong. And eventually it gets around Cape Horn and comes up the coast of Chile and it shipwrecks on a desolate island where it slowly descended into a real life Lord of the Flies with warring factions and mutiny and murder and pretty much you name it. Okay, so uh, how many, 140 or 150 are able to swim to shore? Yes, about 145, a little a little over 145 are able to make it to shore. But, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out that be, even before the wreck, even before that hell began, first they have to battle one of the worst uh, uh, epidemics of scurvy ever recorded in maritime history as they're coming around Cape Horn. Then they suffer a typhoon. Uh, in a place, in those again, in those violent seas around Cape Horns, where the seas can dwarf a 90-foot mast, you have the strongest currents on Earth, and you have winds that accelerate uh, to hurricane force frequently. Uh, Melville, who later rounded the horn, compared it to a descent into hell in Dante's Inferno. So they, when we say there were 145 survivors, it's worth pointing out that they had already suffered so much by the time they eventually wrecked on the island and 145 get there. And I always say, and that's where the real hell began. And you, you referenced Lord of the Flies. You, you beat me to it. Cause of course, as I'm reading, I was thinking about Lord of the Flies. So they, they then what? They group into different factions while on the island. And then miraculously, guys are able to make it back to England. And when they get back to England, now it's like, whose fault was this? And they're facing the threat of being hung if they're blamed. Yeah. And what was really interesting is I would be going to these archives. You mentioned these archives in, in, in England and I would go to them and you know, you'd be pulling these documents, these muster books and log books and journals to exist. You get them out of a box and dust is pouring off of them and they're disintegrating them. 
And I would read about this, this basically after waging this war against all the elements, they get back to England facing court martial. They begin to wage this furious war over the truth. And as I'm reading these documents, there's allegations of uh, misinformation and fake journals. And then, of course, I would come home and I'd flip on the news and I read the newspaper. And what would I hear? Stories about alternative facts and fake news. And so there was something very eerie about this story that made it feel like a parable for our own turbulent times. Chapter 8, which is titled Wreckage, begins this way. The seawater bubbled up toward the surgeon's cabin, where Captain David Cheap lay motionless. Confined there since his injury, he had not witnessed the collision, but he'd recognized the loud scraping sound, the sound that every commander dreads, a hull grinding on rocks. It reads like a novel. And there's such detail in the book. And, you know, we're, we're talking about something that, that happened in the 18th century, right? The 1740s is when all this goes down. How were you in these archived materials that must have been largely illegible and difficult to piece together? <laughs> how can you provide all the level of detail that ends up in the wager? Yeah, well, that's why it takes me five years to get back on your show when I finish a new book. It takes years. <laughs> no, it takes you five, five minutes to get here once you've read, the, <laughs> once you've published the book. Uh, but what is amazing is that a surprising trove of primary materials did somehow survive shipwreck, naval battles, cannon fire, typhoons, tidal waves, icebergs, earthquakes. Some survived the shipwreck and you can read them. And these logbooks and the journals were really meticulous accountings almost day to day. And then also because they had this war over the truth and they're summoned to this court martial, they are all desperate to try to save their lives. So they are releasing their accounts and their testimony, which you can still read today as they battle for the truth. And what's so interesting in these accounts is you will read one, for example, by an officer on the island who says, I was forced to proceed to extremities. That's all he'll say. And then you'll read another account and he'll say, oh yeah, he shot him right in the head. And by reading, comparing all these minute documents, you begin to get a better, closer sense to what really happened how, and to the truth. How do the records survive? It's, I mean, it is kind of incredible. I mean, they're kept in special conditions um, in these archives. And then when you go to access them, you know, you have to put them on pillows. I mean, you just have to treat them so carefully. You, you know, the bindings are breaking apart, but they they, they are still legible. I mean, I often had to use a magnifying glass to read them, and it would take me months and months to pour over them and to decode them. But they do tell a story. And I always say that documents speak to you in very unexpected ways. And I'll just give you one example. I pulled the muster books. Muster books seem kind of uninteresting on one level. They're just kind of when a seaman arrives on a ship, his name is listed, his rank, and that's it. But there was an abbreviation code next to each of their names. And I kept seeing the letters. DD, DD, DD. And I was like, what does DD mean? And eventually I learned DD meant discharge dead. And so in looking at this document, I realized that this anodyne archaic document really revealed the horrific toll that this expedition had taken. Nearly 2,000 men had set sail on the squadron and more than 1,300 had perished. But David, when you're actually there at the National Archives outside of London, you're examining documents, correct me if I'm wrong, that were taken as uh, when the 145 guys are swimming to shore. Are 
are those books in their possession and then they're maintained on the island, an island that today, in honor of the story you're telling, is named the way, you know, Wager Island. Again, stop me if I'm if I'm wrong. And then the books make it back to England, where a few hundred years later, David Grant is pouring through the eyewitness accounts. Yeah, it is crazy. So, for example, there was one man on the ship, uh, uh, the gunner, John Bulkley, who um, came from the lower to middle classes, Who, but he was highly literate and he was a compulsive diarist. And so they had a little small transport boat. Um, it's like a rowboat, basically, which they salvaged from the wreckage. And as they're escaping, that's how they get ferried ashore onto this island. He brings with him um, quills because they're writing with quills, <laughs> ink and paper. And one of the things that happens on that island is they're very conscious that if they survive, they may be summoned to a military tribunal where they could be hanged if they ever get back to England. So even while they're on the island, they are trying to create contemporaneous evidence that would withstand the attrition of a court martial and a public trial. So that is one of the reasons these documents exist. Early on in the book, before everything really hits the fan, you say this. One day on the wager, several men emerged from the sick bay carrying a long shrouded package. It was the dead body of one of their companions. According to tradition, this is what I underlined, a body to be buried at sea was wrapped in a hammock along with at least one cannonball. When the hammock was sewn together, the final thread was often stitched through the victim's nose to ensure he was dead. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, like, how many times did they stitch through the nose and like, <laughs> oh, no, he's still oh, alive. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. And it, you know, but what in this case, for example, they started to suffer from scurvy when they were coming around Cape Horn. And so with scurvy, it's a basically they didn't know that it was caused from a lack of vitamin C. And so, uh, you know, hundreds of them perished. Their their teeth began to fall out. Their hair is falling out. Um, and then the disease gets into their brains. As one seaman put in, they went raving mad. So hundreds of hundreds of them are perished and they're being thrown overboard. And so, you know, I, ideally by doing this ritual, you ensured that someone in a comatose state did not get uh, tossed overboard. And I only laugh because when you when you research a story like this, you kind of develop a gallows semen humor to kind of cope with some of the suffering that they all went through. When I step back and I look at the breadth of the subject matter that you've invested yourself in, whether it's uh, Percy Fawcett, whether it's Killers of the Flower Moon, which was your number one New York Times bestselling book. By the way, isn't Martin Scorsese directing that? He is. And it, and in fact, I will be going to Cannes in just two weeks to, to see the premiere of it. And then uh, it'll be released in October here in the U.S. It was directed by Martin Scorsese and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and De Niro and Lily Gladstone. Um, I think it's quite a remarkable film and adaptation of the book. So Hollywood clearly loves David Grant. How how did this end up on your radar screen? How did you become aware of the wager? So the wager, I was doing research on mutinies, a subject that always fascinated me. And when I was doing research, I stumbled upon a 18th century account from one of the survivors who was John Byron. He had been a 16-year-old midshipman uh, on the wager when the voyage set sail. And he would later go on to become the grandfather of the poet Lord Byron, whose poetry, including Don Juan, is profoundly influenced by what he referred to as my granddad's narrative. 
And I imagine that David Grant says to himself, surely someone has written about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's amazing about this, this was a sensational story in the 18th century. And it influenced uh, philosophers like Voltaire and Rousseau. Um, it influenced later the scientist Charles Darwin, the novelists of the sea, uh, like Herman Melville. But by the time I kind of stumbled around, it had been largely forgotten and lost to memory. I watched an interview that you did recently on 60 Minutes, which was phenomenal. By the way, everybody, this is David Gran, and the book is called The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? 
more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. This is David Grant, and the book is called The Wager, a tale of shipwreck, mutiny and murder. And the interview to which I'm referring now on 60 Minutes is posted today at Smirconish.com, and it was contained in this morning's newsletter. You must go and watch the interview for the following reason. So, okay, you're in the archives, and you know you're—I don't—I I don't know where you're writing. I'm looking at you in in on YouTube, and I imagine you're probably in New York City in the area and surrounded by books and so forth. <laughs> but you wanted to make sure that you got a taste of what they went through. So, what did you do? Yeah, was, that's when I always decide to do something foolish, which is after a couple years of research in the archives, which I'm most suited for, uh, I decided to make a trip to Wager Island. And I found a uh, Chilean captain who could take me there. And initially, he sent me a photograph of the boat. And I thought, oh, well, this looks good. It's a big vessel, looked like something out of Jacques Cousteau, you know. Um, uh, and then it took me days. And eventually, I reached the boat uh, off the coast of, it's on Chiloé Island. We were going to travel 350 miles south from Chiloé Island off the coast of Chile down to what is now known as Wager Island, which is located in the Gulf of Sorrows, or as some prefer to call it the Gulf of Pain, which you'd have told me enough not to go. <laughs> but I take one look at the boat when I got there, and I was like, that, that boat is really small. That doesn't look like the boat in the photograph. It was a wood-heated vessel that was very top-heavy, um, and eventually we set out Um First, we're through the channels, which are kind of sheltered of Patagonia. But eventually the captain says to me, well, you know, now we're going to have to go out into Wager Island, uh, go out into the ocean to get to Wager Island. And I got a glimpse of these terrifying seas. And just to give your listeners a little bit of an image, uh, the waves dwarfed the boat. I had to hunker down on the deck. I could not stand. If I stood, I would have broken a limb. Um, I was like an experiment for every seasick medicine possible. I had the patch behind the ear and some band on my wrist. And I was half drunk on Dramamine. And I made the foolish decision to pass the time as I sat there listening to an audio recording of Moby Dick, which was not the most (laughs) soothing thing to but eventually the captain was very skilled led us through the gulf of pain we get to wager island which remains a place of wild desolation it's barren it's windswept it's cold it's sleeting and raining and like the castaways we could find virtually no food and it was only after that journey that journey was so important to my understanding and my descriptions in the book even though i don't write about my own journey Um, I could finally understand why a British officer had described that island as a place where the soul of man could die in him. As as you just referenced, no animals, like nothing, nothing to hunt and eat for for them to stay alive. Yeah, nothing. I mean, there was a little bit of there's some mussels and snails, which they quickly exhausted along the little coast where they were. Um, There's some birds that fly tantalizing off the coast, but they can't reach. And that's it. They found the little bits of celery, the seaweed. Um, and so many of them began to starve and they did break off into these boring factions. I'm not I'm not going to give away the ending. You present a variety of perspectives in the book, The Wager, so that we get to see it through the eyes of different individuals who come to totally different conclusions. Yes, I told it from uh, the competing accounts of three men, the captain of the wager, David Sheep, who had always dreamed of becoming a captain and finally got what he wanted until the wreckage. John Bulkley, the gunner, who on that island, there's great philosophical debates about the nature of leadership. Should the captain remain the captain uh, because that was his title on the ship? 
Or could someone like John Bulkley, who though he didn't come from the aristocracy, become a commander in his own right on the island and the perspective of John Byron? So you hear these warring accounts, but I really leave it to the reader to provide the ultimate judgment, which is history's judgment. I, I don't know the lingo on a on a ship, but at some point <laughs> they are they're climbing the mast, I guess I would say, and they are becoming sails. Oh my God. That is to me one of the most craziest scenes, I think, in the whole narrative. So in my research, there is a point when they're coming around Cape Horn and the sails have blown out. And so the captains can't control the ship. And so one of the captain orders his men to climb these masts, which rise about a hundred feet into the sky, and to cling to the ropes like spiders and use their bodies as sails. They're facing a gale. And you have to understand these waves are enormous. So the ships, the masts are almost rocking so far. They're, they're almost touching the water. So it's like a 90 degree pendulum and they're holding on and using their body as sails. And it does allow the captain to, to maneuver the ship. But one of the men is catapulted into the sea and drowns. It's hard to, it reads like fiction. It's hard to believe it occurred. And I assume I'm going to see this on a big screen at some point as well. Yeah, I was, I was, I, you know, I was so honored to see the job that Scorsese and DiCaprio had done with Killers of the Flower Moon. So when they reached out to me and said, we'd like to develop the wager, I was like, well, I'm ready to go. So Stavridis wants a cameo, by the way. All right. Tell him he's on. David, the book, the book, I'm, I'm so, I'm just so thrilled that over the years I've had the privilege of interviewing you so many times. We're going to do like a Granapalooza and release all the material for my book club podcast. I really appreciate your being here and I wish you all good things. Thank you, Michael. It's such a pleasure. David Grant is the author. The book is called The Wager. It is a must read. Don't wait for summer. Go and read it now. Dan just alerted me to the fact that we never released as a Smirconish book club podcast the interview that I did with David Gran in studio on the release of The Lost City of Z. And I remember, TC, I was captivated with that book from the get-go. So was I. It was it's so unbelievably interesting. And I remember him coming in and self-describing as like, I'm a little schlubby guy and like, this is what I'm up to. And he was just so uh, both passionate and self-effacing at the same time, if that makes sense, that I just found him, I found him compelling. I find his words compelling. It was just one of those books that has stayed, has continued to stay with me. I loved it. He is on such a Hollywood role right now. Hollywood loves his books. And I didn't know that Scorsese has already signed on to do the wager? I mean, yeah. h- how much bigger does it get? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. The answer is it doesn't. I mean, that was just so cool. And I also love the Stavridis reference and that he had thought that that was someone that he wanted to get a I book know, to. I know. That was really cool. And you know, you know what else? He, he strikes me as a very earnest and decent guy. So I'm so happy for his for his success. Well, that's my point. He's just, I think he's just so normal, but he's so interested in this that he brings that to you. So then, and, and the, and that you guys went to when you were in London is also yeah. just oh, yeah, yeah. classic. Oh, 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 I, I, I mean, on a family trip, I dragged the boys, my, my oh, wife and our daughter stayed shopping. At least this is my version of it. And instead I'm like, let's go do something manly. Let's go to the national, uh, you know, geographic society and look at old books and that didn't go like, over Dad, so well. What are we doing? Yeah, I was right. They, they, they wanted to go see like the changing of the guard, but I was totally into that. Anyway, David Graham. 
Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.